Coming up on the Keto Cam Podcast, we bring on Denver's diet doctor, Dr. Jeffrey Gerber. In the past, you know, this goes back to like, I don't know, even the 18th century, there was an expression coined that fat burns in the in the flame of carbohydrates. And they got that all wrong. And, and the observation was that if you put a patient, an individual on a high fat diet, they, they detected um, acetone in the urine. And they said, oh, well, that represents the incomplete oxidation of fat. Because if you give them carbohydrate, you don't see the acetone in the urine. And they got it totally backwards. What happened is that they stopped burning fat when they took the carbohydrate as a, as a fuel. And so, you know, basically, you know, ketosis, you can just determine if your body is choosing to burn fat for energy versus carbohydrate for energy. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Today, we welcome for the first time on the show, Dr. Jeffrey Gerber. You might know him as Denver's Diet Doctor. He is a wealth of information in the low-carb space. He hosts an annual uh, low-carb Denver conference, which we'll talk about in a second. And we're going to dive deep into his backstory, how he went from traditional conventional medicine, sick care essentially, to being proactive and wanting to prevent disease, prevent symptoms, and using keto, intermittent fasting, and these ancient healing strategies to do so. So you'll hear his backstory, and then we'll talk about why are so many people unhealthy? 88% plus of the American population is considered unhealthy, metabolically unhealthy. I would argue it's higher than that because that study was done before COVID. And we talk about the number one reason why people are unhealthy. We'll talk about toxic food. We'll talk about these highly palatable processed foods that light up the brain and force you to want more sugar, more carbs, etc. We get into the calories in versus calories out discussion and why he believes there's some validity to calories, but it's more about energy in versus energy out. And I got to tell you, you learn about why that's different from calories in versus calories out. We'll get into something called the personal fat threshold. This is really good for you doing keto because if you just look at a keto macro chart or a keto chart that shows you shows you the percentages, it's not giving you the full picture. And why, if you've been doing keto for more than a month or so, actually you want to dial down the fat a little bit, focus on protein. So we'll talk about this personal fat threshold. And then we'll also talk about how people store fat in different areas, subcutaneous versus visceral. What's the difference? We'll get into the benefits of using a continuous glucose monitor and checking ketones especially as it relates to insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. And then we get into his upcoming low-carb Denver conference. This is the first time I will be attending this conference. It's taking place February 23rd through February 26th, 2023 in Denver, Colorado. I'm going to be moderating an incredible panel, and I'm going to be hanging out there. I'll be at the, the dinner Saturday night. I'll be hanging out with you if you attend. And they hooked us up with a 10% coupon code off of your ticket price if you want to attend. I highly recommend you attend. We'll talk about the speakers, how it works during the conversation, but head over to lowcarbconferences.com and use the coupon code LCD2023AZADI. If you're getting your tickets, you'll get 10% off. We'll put a link 
for that in the coupon code down below in the podcast notes. So you'll learn about that conference. And I can't wait to bring them on shortly. Before I do, I want to get to today's Apple podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Njenki33, titled, Keto Camp is the Best. Very new to keto and stumbled upon Benazadi's podcast. It has helped me immensely to know how to go about this lifestyle as a woman. So glad I found it. I'm so glad you found it too. And you're right. Keto and intermittent fasting needs to be done differently than men. So I'm so glad you're learning that on the podcast. And good job. I love that you called it a lifestyle and not a diet. That's exactly correct. And thank you. Uh, Keep doing what you're doing. I support you. If you have not left the Keto Camp podcast a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast platform, please do so right now. It really helps the show grow. And maybe I will read your review and give you a shout out on the next episode. You know, we talk a lot about toxicity, environmental toxins on this podcast for a good reason, because the perfect diet alone will not get you well in this day and age, but you cannot get well without the perfect diet. So keto and fasting and carnivore and keto flexing are all essential towards healing your body. And we focus a lot about that. But we also talk about environmental toxins, heavy metals, household toxins. These are chemical disruptors, hormone disruptors that lead to massive amounts of cellular membrane inflammation. And I've seen a lot of people, including myself, who have done keto and intermittent fasting and exercising perfectly, but if they have a high toxic load, the body's not going to heal. So how do you know if you have a high toxic load? I put together a free toxicity quiz. It'll take you just a minute or two to complete, and it's free. And after you have completed the quiz, we'll give you a score. The scores range between low toxicity, moderate toxicity, and high toxicity, and that'll give you an idea of where you're at and what to do about it. So all you need to do is go to www.toxicmiami.com. Yes, it's Miami, but you don't have to live in Miami to do the quiz anywhere in the world. You could take that quiz, toxicmiami.com, and go fill out that quiz right now, get your score, and you could understand where you are at with your toxicity levels. Okay, let's bring on Dr. Jeffrey Gerber. Dr. Gerber is a board-certified family physician and owner of South Suburban Family Medicine in Littleton, Colorado, where he's known as Denver's Diet Doctor. He began providing individualized treatment to the local community in 1993, and he plans to maintain that tradition by focusing on lifespan, wellness, and prevention. Dr. Gerber has been focusing on prevention and treatment programs using low-carb, high-fat, ancestral paleo and primal diets to treat and prevent chronic conditions after becoming frustrated with spiraling healthcare costs related to the treatment of conditions such as overweight, obesity, diabetes, atherosclerosis, heart disease, just to name a few. Dr. Gerber is also a co-organizer of low-carb conferences, a yearly educational event for healthcare professionals and anyone interested in learning about the newest diet and health science. I'll be at the next one. You'll learn about that. Here is Dr. Jeffrey Gerber. Hey, Dr. Jeffrey Gerber. Welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Great to be here, Ben. I was just telling you offline that I've been a huge fan of your work for so many years. You've been at this for a very long time, 20 plus years. You've kind of seen the evolution of low carb, keto, paleo, now carnivore, and different trends that come and go. One thing we know for sure ketosis and, and low carb, this, this amazing metabolic state, it, it's not a fat, it's here to stay. And there's some nuances to it, which you cover very well, and we'll talk about today. And you also have a great conference. I think it's your sixth one coming up in February of next year. Is it your sixth one? That's correct, Ben. Which is super cool, Low Carb Denver, which we'll talk about. And uh, a lot of things in between. I have a whole bunch of notes that I want to get through. Before we do, Doc, you know, your backstory, you know, what led you to the field of health? And then why did you decide to stay within the box of that healthcare system? And what is what is different about your approach for other conventional doctors out there? 
Sure, Ben. Well, uh, as as I mentioned before the podcast, we both actually have been in this uh, uh, realm for quite some time, uh, over 20 years, years, about 14 years. And, you know, way back when we didn't have that much support on social media. So we kind of went out on our own. And uh, as you said, over the years, I've seen it all. And we always joke, what's it going to be called next year? You know, is it going to have a different name? Is is there going to be a different approach? And that's really the theme of our conference next year, kind of addressing that, where is nutrition headed? And honestly, we're just looking for some common themes in terms of where we're heading with this and what we call it at the end of the day, although it varies from year to year, we don't change as human beings. Uh, our genetics don't change, but the conversation does. And so that's where we're hoping to go next year with the conference. But to give you a little bit more background, uh, I'm a family doctor and I've been doing that for over 30 years and really interested in nutrition for the last 20 plus years. And it really starts back to my childhood and my family. We were just overweight people and my parents were always looking at each and every diet. And I think back in the 60s and 70s, it, it was Pritikin, it was Dean Ornish, it was Weight Watchers, uh, Jenny Craig, and then Atkins came around, I think, in the late uh, 70s. And so we had been through it all and that really piqued my interest in nutrition as well. Uh, you could say that uh, we were born into healthcare, that we have a lot of, a lot mm -hmm. of uh, doctors and healthcare professionals in our family. So we went off to medical school. And uh, although I was interested in diet and nutrition, didn't know much more than uh, the standard recommendations that uh, were being preached for years and was frustrated during the first 10 years that uh, we really couldn't help our patients lose weight. We couldn't address medical problems properly. We were just pushing pills. And uh, then it was about 10 years into my career that uh, my father-in-law actually challenged me to lose weight. And I went on a low-carb diet. Uh, it was an Atkins diet and, and rapidly lost 40 pounds. At the same time, I had patients come to me wanting to try some of these, you know, what we called crazy diets, such as the Suzanne Summers diet. But, you know, like yourself, I've always been a person that was an independent thinker, you know, looking outside the box, not just accepting the information just given to me. And in, in a sense, you know, I, I didn't want to just drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> You know, I, I wanted to think for myself. And so I said to these individuals, you know, we can try these diets and maybe your heart's going to explode. Maybe it's not going to explode. But lo and behold, we would see that these patients would lose weight and it was rather painless for them and and their metabolic markers actually uh, improved. So, um, you know, at this time, the light bulb went off my head that uh, perhaps we, we got it wrong with nutrition. And I started doing my homework and research and reading and taking a deeper dive and to understand that um, there's a better way to address nutrition. And that's not just looking at the traditional model, eat less and exercise more, and just specifically looking at calories, but looking at the, the macronutrients both fat, protein, carbohydrates, reducing carbohydrates in the diet, eating more whole foods, unprocessed foods. And uh, so from that point forward, uh, we really brought that into our practice the, the last 20 years. And really, nutrition education is my passion for my patients. We went out on a lecture series, and we've been lecturing about it for years. We wrote a book with Ivor Cummins. And the last six years, this will be our sixth year coming up, we now have introduced conferences where we want to just bring education to, uh, to the audience. And uh, just one other thing you had mentioned was, why am I still in the healthcare system? <laughs> and that's a good question, because a, a lot of us are thinking outside of the box and, and, you know, they've washed their hands of the healthcare system. It's terrible. It's broken. I agree. You know, it's a system of sick care. But for my patients, I have, number one, people that want to still use health insurance, whether or not it covers, you know, treatment or not, is, is another topic. But I'm kind of here to help our patients navigate through the landmines of healthcare. Someone's got to do it. Yeah, so true. <laughs> Yeah, in terms of, you know, addressing diabetes properly, heart disease. And, you know, we still, it, we enjoy 
working with patients in the system and we've been navigating the system for for years and it's it's not really much different and you know i'm not ready to throw in the towel i i enjoy seeing patients in the setting and will continue to do so I respect that. And you're right. Somebody's got to do it. And thank God that that's you. And you do a really good job at that. And I have a question. You know, you've been, you said 30 plus years now. You've seen some of the changes. You've seen things come and go. What changes have you seen in the healthcare model for incentivizing doctors such as yourself to get a patient healthy? For example, I know that there are some incentives to dropping somebody's A1C, but not necessarily helping them lose weight. Have you seen that improve over the years, get worse, stay the same? What are some of the things you've noticed with the incentives that they they give you for patients? Yeah, so it's it's noble, the incentive. Uh, there's different names for it. We can call it shared savings. And so mm-hmm. we actually get kickbacks if we uh, achieve some, some goal with a patient. And you mentioned uh, hemoglobin A1C. So if we show a reduction in hemoglobin A1C, we'll get a kickback, we'll get a benefit for it. Now, sometimes they, they don't care how you do it, whether it's with diet, nutrition, uh, or, or medication. And so that, that's really noble. So you can show that a patient's A1C uh, reduced, the, their diabetes reduced, but one thing you don't get a benefit for is, is weight loss. So if you show that the BMI reduced, that's not built into shared savings. And I've always made the argument, well, that should be a very uh, important benchmark in terms of incentives and kickbacks. The, the other area is not, that, that is not covered is deprescribing, okay? So, you know, you know it, it's, it's actually on the opposite side. It's about, is the patient on the correct medication? And, okay, I, I get that. I, I get that we sometimes... Uh, argue with them in terms of what medications they should be on when they're diabetic, but they don't include these deprescribing. And, and as you know, we uh, make the argument that uh, when it comes to diabetes, we can uh, treat, cure, and reverse it, and there's no medication that can do that. And that's all with lifestyle diet, and what you get is deprescribing at the end. So there's some good aspects to the uh, incentives. Yeah, I, I love the idea of deep prescribing. It's, it's so important. I love that you focus on that too. You know, when we look at America, but it's really the world, we, we live, we, a lot of people are unhealthy. For example, you know, the study that came out in 2018 from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, that showed about 88% of American adults are unhealthy. And of course, that was before COVID, probably got a lot worse. I know that there's multiple reasons why we have this problem. Um, there's processed seed oils, processed sugar, high carbohydrates, eating too often, um, not moving your body, toxicity. There's a lot of moving parts here. But if you had to choose one, Doc, what would you say is the most detrimental? What is the number one leading cause to why we have so many people that are overweight and, and, and unhealthy? So firstly, uh, that study is unbelievable. I, I think Andreas Einfeld brought that up in a podcast we did a few weeks ago. And I said, uh, you're lying. 80, 88% of the uh, U.S. adult population are, are metabolically unhealthy. So, I, you know, that, that's, that's unbelievable. And, and that study was done before COVID. I expect that to be probably over 90%. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the answer, what, what is the number one problem that, that relates to it? Maybe we're not prescribing enough medication. How's that? (laughs) I'm sorry. I I know you're joking. (laughs) Just had to throw that one out there. Maybe more (laughs) medication will fix the problem, but yes, I I was joking. The, The number one problem I believe to be our toxic food environment in the United States. Mm. And so, so we have processed foods, highly palatable foods, and the industry has made this toxic food environment just unavoidable. And we just we just can't stop eating. So I think that's the principal problem. And when you say, you know, toxic food, processed foods, you're referring to glyphosate, you're referring to processed carbohydrates, processed flours, industrial seed oils. And when somebody's consuming that, 
it causes them to overeat. What's happening with their body, with their brain, with their satiety signals? Uh, you know, leptin plays a role here. All these satiety mechanisms like cholecystokinin, uh, peptide YY. What, what's happening when somebody consumes these products that are devoid of nutrients on a daily basis? Yeah, so uh, the industry has really tweaked it uh, that it it really drives the reward centers as, uh, of the brain, and you're mentioning some of uh, you know the the chemicals and and how that works. So you know it it's it it's driving food reward or the reward centers in a sense equivalent to these reward centers, just like a drug. And the industry knows it, and uh, you know, unfortunately, their uh, bottom line is money and profit, and they put that first uh, ahead of our, our health. And so, it, the idea is that really we we need to somehow partner with the food industry, <laughs> and, and find partners that uh, put our health first. And uh, we keep plugging away. Some people say we're never going to get there, but uh, as healthcare professionals, we need to point out the, uh, the the damage of the industry. Yeah, and you know, podcasts like this, conferences like Low Carb Denver, and your great work, uh, it really helps people become aware. And then we we essentially vote with our dollars. It's it's they'll make products that are healthier if that's where we put our our, our money. But as long as people are spending money, which are, I understand these these products are very cheap and affordable and they're readily available. As long as we continue to spend our money that way, they'll continue to make them. But if we could change the paradigm and wake people up essentially with conversations like this, then they would vote with their dollars and, and buy food that is you know nutritionally dense and packed full of uh, vitamins and nutrients and the things that the body needs. So essentially, we're voting with our fork, aren't we? Yeah. And, and the other aspect of this is is agriculture. So the government subsidize is uh, you know weed, corn, and soy, and uh, they mm. don't subsidize you know animal protein products, for instance. And so you know if there if there would be a shift in looking at agriculture and and getting you know the government agencies to recognize that whole foods from animal-based sources is actually very healthy. Maybe we we can uh, shift in terms of subsidizing those types of uh, food products. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the I don't know if you saw, you probably did see it, but uh, Tufts University came out with that food compass that showed the opposite of really what you're speaking about here. It showed like, I believe it was foods to be minimized was eggs cooked in butter, ground red, red meat, but then foods to be encouraged that were in green were like frosted mini wheats, wheats and Cheerios. They even had, I believe, eggs cooked in like vegetable oil above eggs cooked in butter. That's recent, right? So, you know, yeah. what, what, what do you, where do you see this going in the next few years? So again, having seen this for over, you know, almost 25 years, every year it's a different message still based on the food pyramid and they just have yeah. different ways of spinning it. And, uh, you know, at the top of the food pyramid is the uh, industrial vegetable oils, wheats and grains and sugary foods. And somehow they still believe that, uh, you know, red meat and saturated fat uh, are going to cause cancer and make your heart explode. And uh, honestly, Ben, we've been looking at the literature for the last 20 plus years. And I always have to mention the World Health Organization that seems to be an organization that's based on uh, plant-based and vegetarian. They seem to make these claims. And when you actually look at the evidence to show that uh, red meat causes cancer, the association is so weak, and yet they, they explode it and try to make it seem that it's causal. And, and the same is true as to saturated fat when you actually look at the evidence that implicates or associates saturated fat with heart disease, it's almost non-existent. And so, again, as you said, our effort over the past two decades is to advance nutrition science. And through all of our efforts, this is what we will continue to do. Yeah. And I love that you're doing that. I have a question regarding, because there's two sides here when it comes to people in the health space. And I know the answer is usually somewhere in the middle. And I think you could agree because I've seen you lecture on this. And what I'm referring to is the the calories in versus calories out approach, right? Um, and, and you have a better way of thinking about that energy in versus energy out. But I want to know your thoughts here. And I, w I would like for you to explain it in a way for my audience to finally get it. Because I, I agree with you, Jeffrey. I do think calories matter. I just don't think they're 
the most important thing to focus on. So if you could unpack this whole, why we have a side of health nutritionists and doctors and dietitians teaching just eat less and move more. And then we have other people like Gary Taub saying there's a lot more to it. It's a hormonal issue. Could you unpack the calorie issue? Yeah. Well, first of all, Ben, we can start by saying that calories do matter. But the traditional model is, again, based on calories in, calories out. We we call it the energy balance. And it is true that what we say uh, does apply, but but the the way that we approach this with patients and and individuals is that it's it's a whole model based on deprivation, and the idea is that you have to deprive yourself of of food, and in return you go to the gym and you exercise more to to burn energy, so less energy comes in. And in a sense, more energy comes out, you create a ne- negative energy balance, and you're, you're going to lose weight. So that's true. But the problem is that it's very difficult to, to deprive yourself of anything lifelong. I, I mean, we're animals, we're, again, we're driven by reward centers in our brain. So, you know, you have to have a, a very strong uh, will to be able to do that. And some people indeed can do that. But for the majority of us, it's it's really difficult. And early in my career, when we would tell patients just eat less and exercise more, and you're you know you're a glutton and a sloth, and and blame them, it, it just you know very few people had success. And so the other aspect, as you mentioned, Gary Todd's that uh, it. it when it comes to metabolic health and ideal body weight, that it, it, it may be uh, that it's more of a hormonal condition having to do with insulin, inflammatory markers, and and especially if you're diabetic and pre-diabetic, we do believe that the, the hormones play a very significant role. And so if you reduce the macronutrients that drive insulin, particularly carbohydrates long term you're going to you're going to uh reverse this insulin resistance cycle and, and help people uh lose weight and control appetite but but here's here's one of the important points and and what we want to bring up in the conference is that we kind of create this um artificial dichotomy that that there's that there're two camps and on the one side, we have the calorie camp or the energy balance camp. And on the other side, we have the, the hormonal camp and the insulin camp. And, and they're not, and the point is they're, they're, they're not two camps. Now it's fun on social media to argue back and forth. So I guess the camps need to exist or else we won't have any fun on social media. But at the end of the day, they work harmoniously together. And so the idea is that we have to consider energy balance and we have to consider hormones together in terms of helping uh, the individual. Yeah, well well said, well said. And I, I believe that the truth is somewhere in the middle there. Did you know that 51% of Americans are reportedly taking a multivitamin and they think it's making them healthier? In this one study of 14,641 men, half were given a multivitamin, while the other half were given a placebo. After over a decade of treatment, the multivitamin did not reduce the risk of cardiovascular events, stroke, or cardiovascular-related death. Another study focused on 21,000 people in the United States who took either a daily multivitamin or not. After undergoing health tests, the multivitamin group showed no higher psychological, physical, or functional health. Most multivitamins are synthetic and harshly processed. They contain ingredients that actually make your liver work overtime. Not good, especially if you already have a sluggish liver. It's always better to get nutrients your body needs in the form of whole foods. The solution is organ meat. And if you're anything like me, you probably don't like the taste of organ meat. So what I personally use and recommend is a organic organ meat complex, which is some of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, richest source of natural vitamin A, B12, and additional B vitamins, iron, niacin, folate, phosphorus, zinc, selenium, 
I personally take Paleo Valley's Organ Meat Complex, and it is grass-fed and finished. It's all the benefits of organ meats without that nasty taste. Let's get back to our ancestral roots, and you could get a bottle or more of Paleo Valley's Organ Meat Complex and any of their products for 15% off. All you need to do, Keto Camper, is head over to paleovalley.com. Use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 at checkout, and you could get 15% off your entire order. They have beef sticks, apple cider vinegar complex, vitamin C complex, and many other incredible products. Head over to paleovalley.com, use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 at checkout, or click the link down below in the podcast notes. I also did the same thing, like you mentioned. With I used to host seminars here in Miami where I live, and I used to just teach my community to cut their calories and exercise more and create this energy deficit. And you know, the, the problem with it is that it works short term. <laughs> and like you said, long term, it's very hard to to consistently have that discipline. And even even if you do, the metabolism is going to match the intake coming in over time. There was that Biosphere 2 project that was a huge failure where they everything was calculated and they cut everybody's calories and they felt miserable. The, the patients in that uh, study, their organs shrunk. It was a complete failure because over time, that's what's going to happen. And when you focus more on nutrient-dense foods, proteins, aminos, fats, you're naturally going to eat less. So then the, there is going to be a calorie deficit, but you're satiated and full, which is very different than t- teaching people to have your soda, to have your Snickers bar, to have whatever you want, as long as you fit your calorie window and your calorie needs. So th- there has to be a middle ground there. Yeah. So I was just going to say that, and thank you for mentioning it. And so when the idea with the patient is what I call mindfulness. And so we when we, we want to shift the focus away from deprivation to satiety and listening to your to your body and so whatever it is that you do with the individual mindfulness has to come into it so uh, getting the patient to pay attention to how their body feels if if they're hungry eat if they're not hungry don't eat maybe eating less frequently during the day and it's just you know sleep happiness enjoy enjoying life you mentioned you know that the, the pandemic has been terrible the last several years and and so I, I think that that's affected patients in, in a very negative way and so it's our goal to kind of uh, elevate our patients back to a, a point where they can once again enjoy life and 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 pay attention to mindfulness and so again a lot of the research doesn't necessarily, look at the mindfulness aspect of it. You know, they're, they're simply looking at hormones and calories. And so how does the patient feel? How does the patient react? And some studies do note that the patient spontaneously ate less. And so I, th- I think that's where we, at least in a clinical setting where we're actually, and, and for you where you're, you're, you're helping your individuals to query them about how they feel? Are they hungry? Are they not hungry? Are they, are they going on about life? Are they, are they thinking about food on a constant basis, or are they, you know, the idea is to enjoy life and and not live from meal to meal, but live from the enjoyment of all the other things that life has to offer. I love that. I love the mindfulness part. It's very important and very underlooked, undervalued, I should say. Now, where does intermittent fasting play into this conversation? Because there is an argument that says, uh, some people say uh, intermittent fasting only works for weight loss because you are going to be in a calorie deficit. And I know there's much more benefits to fasting than just that. But what are your thoughts on intermittent fasting and how does it fit into this conversation? Yeah, well, first of all, if it creates a, a calorie deficit, which I think it probably does. That that's great. That may be one of the, one of the ways that it works. But uh, uh, intermittent fasting to me is mindfulness. That and you you picked up on that. It's just another way of paying attention to your body and eating when you're hungry, eating when you're not hungry. And I know a lot of people they they try to force this idea where I'm I'm not going to eat, and then they they brag to people. Well, I didn't eat for a day. I didn't eat for two days. Well, you know, I guess it's fun if you want to brag about it, but it's it's part of mindfulness. And look, there are all these other benefits, uh, you know, aging, autophagy, and I think th- there's something to that. But more important when it comes back to just the weight loss aspect of it is, 
I tell patients to consider this, this concept of eating less frequently. We don't have to eat three meals a day and we don't have to eat snacks in between. And we want to go for longer periods of time so that the body can can burn its own internal energy, what we call catabolism or breaking down stored energy. And as you mentioned at the beginning, if one of the mechanisms, and I believe it to be true, is that you end up eating less at the end of the day or less calories, it doesn't matter what you call it. The patient feels good. The patient's losing body fat and uh, having a benefit. Yeah, well said. It definitely is part of the mindfulness and you know you get the benefit if you're going to eat less by eating less often so intermittent fasting you get the benefit of those counter regulatory hormones you get the benefit of giving your digestive system a break you get the benefits potentially of autophagy versus cutting your calories by eating small meals throughout the day there's a, it's just different process and different things that are going to happen versus you know those two options you've lectured jeffrey on you did a really brilliant job one of your lectures over the years i watched on youtube on helping people understand their personal fat threshold. And I want to relate that to keto and how if somebody goes on Google and they type in, what are the macros for keto? What are the percentages? They're going to see that it's a very high fat diet. And that could be true and it, and it should be probably in the beginning, but eventually they want to find their personal fat threshold. Could you explain what that means and how that person could find their very uh, own personal fat threshold? Yeah. So the Great way to describe personal fat threshold is you can look like look at a standard American individual that tends to be quite overweight, BMI is elevated, and they can be diabetic. And we can compare that to the Asian population, where we see individuals who don't gain a lot of weight but are diabetic. And we have a term for the Asian population called TOFI or mm. thin on the outside, fat on the inside. And a lot of times you can be thrown off when they come into the office because they look fine and healthy. And unfortunately, hemoglobin A1C testing is not quite a screening tool yet. It's, it's recommended, but not every doctor does it. And so you can miss individuals if you don't do the right testing. But at any rate, these two individuals are diabetic, right? And one's severely overweight and the other one isn't. And so... The, the the reason is because of their personal fat threshold. And what this has to do with is the ability to store fat as energy. And so this Americanized individual that's quite a bit overweight has the ability to store a lot of energy as subcutaneous fat, for instance, right? And so normally we all have this ability to store energy as fat. And there comes a point, however, when the subcutaneous fat can't store any more energy. And so this energy is still coming in and it has to go somewhere. So where it ends up going is into the, uh, the viscera fat. So the fat stored around our organs in our body. So that's at a point where inflammation actually sets in because fat isn't supposed to be in the viscera. It's not really a tank for storing energy. But again, I said it has to go anywhere, somewhere. So the viscera starts to build up with this unhealthy um, abdominal fat, as we know, and that, that's actually um, visceral fat. We, we can measure that. There's a very unhealthy sign of metabolic disease. And so there comes a point where the viscera fills up with energy and the energy still has to, you know, what are you going to do with it? It's got to go somewhere. Well, at this point, it starts to go into the organs. So the, the liver, we get fatty liver. And, you know, the body is inflamed, you know, we have energy everywhere in the body. We have free fatty acids circulating in the blood. It's very unhealthy in terms of heart disease, blood vessels, the blood vessels become inflamed. And, you know, at this point you become diabetic. And so, you know, that describes this one individual, the Americanized individual really has a very high personal fat threshold. So, you know, the, this ability, and it's, it's probably a genetic thing. Yeah. And so we can compare that to the Asian individual. And so they have a very much lower personal fat threshold. And so they can store very little energy in their subcutaneous fat. They can't store a lot of energy in their visceral fat, and they can't store a lot of energy in the organs. And so these people can become 
inflamed quite early on. But the bottom line is both of them are at risk. That's a really great job at explaining it. You know, and it's interesting because you might look at an Asian and say that they're lucky that, you know, this is not the wrong way to think about it, but they're lucky because they don't look fat, but actually they're not because they're storing their fat and their visceral fat, and then it's being stored in their liver and they could develop diabetes and disease much faster versus the American who actually looks physically fat and then eventually goes to his uh, visceral fat and then the organs. But this is, a, this is a process that takes years and years to develop. Even, for example, the, the A1C, you mentioned not every doctor screens for that. But even with the A1C, you could tell me the answer. You've seen it with patients. But how long does it typically take be, between somebody who's developed, who has insulin resistance, then an, a change with their A1C? 10 to 15 years. Meanwhile, their, their fasting insulin is going up and up and up. But then your A1C doesn't change for several years later. So how long on average would that take for that A1C to change, even though somebody still has insulin resistance? Yeah, well, you're close, Ben, but actually you could make an argument that uh, you can go 20 years before your A1C uh, rises wow. to uh, a concerning level. Even fast, fasting blood work, it can take, uh, it can take uh, 20 years. And that's where we look back to the work of uh, Dr. Kraft, Joseph Kraft, who Ivor Cummins and I had an, uh, an opportunity to interview him back in uh, when he was age 95 and he was still pretty sharp wow. he, he's passed away since then but he was really father of the insulin assay and so the idea is that with the insulin assay simply doing um fasting blood work is enough but but you would do glucose and insulin levels after a glucose challenge and what we've done in our office now is we've made a short version of the insulin assay from dr Kraft. so we provide a glucose challenge, 75 grams of dextrose in an individual that is um, native to low-carb diet because once you do a low-carb diet, it can interfere with the glucose challenge. So they come into the office, they drink, drink the sugar solution, and we measure fasting one-hour, two-hour glucose, fasting insulin, and a two-hour insulin. And so if your two-hour insulin is generally over 40, you have a problem. And so we see mm -hmm. a lot of individuals that their A1C is 5.5, 5.7. I mean, in the normal range, glucose, fasting glucose might be okay. Triglycerides, there may be a, a hint that something's going on, such as the HDL is low or the triglycerides are high. Again, most doctors don't measure fasting insulins or C-peptides, mm -hmm. which is a pre-insulin measurement. Uh, we do that, and so sometimes uh, they can be elevated. But again, you know, doctors aren't checking that. A lot of doctors aren't even checking hemoglobin A1Cs. They'll just do a fasting glucose. But you do this two-hour insulin, and lo and behold, the two-hour insulin level it could be 100, 200, 300 through the roof. And it's funny because a lot of endocrinologists will come back to me and say, why are you doing insulin tests as a screening tool? And I said, Be because it's a, Dr. Kraft showed uh, the benefit and, and we've done thousands of glucose tolerance tests. And th this is the way that we can detect it early on, like I, 20 years before. But Ben, if I can also add, we do have a subset of patients that they come in, they're not at their ideal body weight, and we do all the glucose tolerance testing and the insulin testing. And lo and behold, they're actually insulin sensitive and not ideal body weight. Now, it's discriminatory. It's predominantly women that fall into this category. Is It makes me think, is estrogen playing a role there? Yeah. Well, I think being female... <laughs> Is well, because yeah, the, being female, you have higher estrogen. So, what's the relationship there? Yeah, well, with estrogen, um, Jamie Seaman calls women the reproductive species, and I think it has everything to do with that. And, and, okay. and that, um, you know, being perhaps insulin sensitive and, and storing energy might be a good thing in terms of reproduction and, and raising okay. children, but yet the idea is that we. You know, if you put those insulin-sensitive individuals on a low-carb, high-fat diet, uh, they might be satiated, they might lose a few pounds, but, but what happens is their weight 
levels off, they start gaining weight and they're, they're, they're really frustrated. And, you know, Cynthia Turlow was just added to our speaker list and I've challenged her. We haven't quite come up with the topic, but I suggested that she address insulin sensitivity as, as a topic for next year. And so this is where the mindfulness comes in with these individuals. So again, a, a low carb, very high fat diet, just doesn't work with these individuals. And so you have to, again, with everybody, focus on mindfulness. What, what is the mix of macronutrients that will help to satiate this insulin-sensitive individual? And we think that a diet that's higher in nutrient-dense foods tends to be protein, and you have to watch fat intake, and you have to watch carb intake versus an in individual that is um, insulin-resistant. Whereas initially a higher fat diet can be very beneficial, but once they become more insulin sensitive and they're losing weight, you got to back down on fat intake because at the end of the day, fat is caloric dense and calories do matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. I, I love that you do this type of testing because unfortunately it's just not as simple as getting an A1C done. As you mentioned, it could be 20 years until that A1C changes. And why do you want to wait until that point of diagnosis when you could have done something 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago? It reminds me of the quote from Einstein who said, intellectuals solve problems and geniuses prevent them, right? You are being preventative. You are helping people be a genius here. So do you also use, or what are your thoughts on continuous glucose monitors? Yeah, so that, that can be a, a wonderful tool. In fact, we, we try to in, invite some of the companies to come to our conference next year because they seem to be all the rage of late. And the companies realize that there's a subset of individuals that aren't diabetic that want to get hold of this and start start monitoring. But it's, it's a conflict for them to, to, to come to the conferences because the FDA only indicates the use for type 2 diabetes. And yeah. then there's also a potential conflict about uh, marketing their products to to the general public versus healthcare professionals. Although they've gotten through that because they can go to diabetes events and they they can talk to the general public. But but the biggest hitch is that they they don't want to be marketing the products to individuals that are not diabetic. It's, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, and so. You know, we actually get a lot of free samples of the CGMs, and I think it can be been really helpful for diabetics uh, initially on because they can they can get a feel for uh, where their blood sugar is during the day, and it's it's amazing because it takes say a thirty day period of time, and it, it'll average the blood glucose at any minute during the day and average it out over 30 days. And you wouldn't think that the body was so predictable from day to day, but it's almost like a fingerprint when you look at the CGM that you can see, you know, we have patients that in the morning they have low blood sugars and in the afternoon, the sugar goes up. And then we have patients that are completely the opposite. And this is mm -hmm. on average in the mornings, the blood sugar is higher in the afternoon, it goes down. And so I didn't really, Get to appreciate that and still until we started following these cgm these these glucose readings and um it is interesting and we have a lot of biohackers uh, like like you and myself who like to take mm -hmm. a deeper dive and then they want to get a hold of these cgms and they want to follow and i think for the biohackers it's really interesting but I have to tell you, Ben, as I get older and crotchety, I joke, I, I think that simple testing is is best. And so just, you know, paying attention to how the individual feels, getting them on a scale, doing a body composition, th that's almost better than doing CGM. Yeah, I see the value in both. And I, I love the CGM. I've used one for a few few months and like as a biohacker. And it's just interesting to see what stress does to your glucose, what exercise, what sleep does, and what different foods do. It, it's so fascinating. And I love looking at postprandial glucose after I've eaten certain meals. So for me, it's just a fascinating experiment. And I do see the value in it. And it's unfortunate that they're only kind of suggesting it if you have type 2 diabetes instead of being preventative, right? You don't want to get type 2 diabetes. That's why you want it. So companies like NutriSense and Levels I've interviewed, they're doing a good job getting it out to the public, but there's still some barriers there. Hey, Keto Camper, there's a simple tip 
that I teach to my students inside of my Keto Camp Academy that really helps them on their journey in the great land of ketosis. Now, a lot of people who do keto, they tend to struggle because they are missing this simple little tip. And that is the importance of replenishing your electrolytes, especially when you lower your carbohydrate intake, like ketosis, you're going to lose a lot of extra water weight. That's a good thing. You're going to look lighter. You're going to feel lighter. But the kidneys go through this diuresis process and you do release electrolytes as well. That's why so many people do keto, but they have unpredictable mood swings, energy crashes, they feel exhausted, and they're wondering, why am I not getting all those amazing benefits everybody speaks about with keto? The simple fix, use a high-quality electrolyte. The one that I use, the one that I love, is Upgraded Charge from Upgraded Formulas. I love them because it's a unique proprietary absorption method with nanoparticles, and it has a 99.99% absorption rate. This is maximum bioavailability. Upgraded Charge includes upgraded magnesium, upgraded zinc, upgraded sodium, potassium, and it tastes freaking awesome. It actually tastes like a non-alcoholic margarita. The flavor comes from a natural lime peel. Take upgraded charge during your intermittent fast throughout your day. Replenish those electrolytes and you're going to notice a difference in your energy, your mood, and you're going to really maximize the incredible benefits of ketosis. Upgraded Formulas has given you a 15% off coupon code for being a valuable listener of the Keto Camp Podcast. That is awesome. They're awesome. If you head to upgradedformulas.com and use the coupon code KK15 at checkout, you can get 15% off their upgraded charge and anything else you add to your cart. That is upgradedformulas.com. Use the coupon code KK15 at checkout. I will also drop a link for you down below in the notes. So let me ask you this. When somebody is in ketosis, would you consider being in a state of ketosis a survival state, a survival mechanism? Yes or no? No, it's just a healthy state. Just a healthy state. Well, okay. When you're in ketosis, is it a stress to the mitochondria, a, a hormetic beneficial stress to the mitochondria? What, what's happening when you're in ketosis with ketones? Well, actually in the talk, we talk, uh, hormesis is, you know, if, well, it's not hormesis that we want to talk about. Hormesis is actually exposure to low levels of toxin that, that the body can actually develop uh, a resistance to in a healthy way. But at, as I alluded to before, that uh, our argument is that the mitochondria actually do better long-term burning fat for energy. And it, it's, it, again, it's just a normal healthy state. It's, it's, it's a measurement of the body's ability to, uh, to burn fat. And in the past... You know, this goes back to like, I don't know, even the 18th century, there was an expression coined that fat burns in the, in the flame of carbohydrates. And they got that all wrong. And, and the observation was that if you put a patient, an individual on a high fat diet, they, they detected um, acetone in the urine. And they said, oh, well, that represents the incomplete oxidation of fat. Because if you give them carbohydrate, you don't see the acetone in the urine. And, and they got it totally backwards. What happened is that they stopped burning fat when they took the carbohydrate as a, as a fuel. And so, you know, basically, you know, ketosis, you can just determine if your body is choosing to burn fat for energy versus carbohydrate for energy. Interesting. And long-term ketosis. So you mentioned it's healthy to be in ketosis. And I agree. I love ketosis. My shirt says ketosis. But what are your thoughts on long-term ketosis? When I say long-term, let me clarify that. Let's say a year straight or longer in ketosis without getting out. Again, it's uh, Ben, it's just um, a, a healthy metabolic state. You know, generally we find if, if somebody's on a diet that keeps them in ketosis for a year and you're actually measuring blood, blood ketones or breath ketones, Generally, we see actually the numbers start to drop with with time. So you could still be in ketosis and not even measure it. And so it's it's just a natural state. I can't uh, describe it in any other way. 
Yeah, I know it makes sense. And and what are your favorite ways? Do you have what what methods do you have your patients test ketones? Are you more of a fan of the finger prick, the breath, or uh, the urine? I think we could both agree is probably not the best. But what are your ways of testing ketones? Yeah, I mean, initially urine will you know when somebody's starting out is a very inexpensive way, but but now finger stick to measure BHB or or breath, they're all um, adequate. And you know, there's some argument that the BHB tells you more about the buffer, whereas the breath tells you more about the the free ketones. But uh, I think regardless, you know, if you're a biohacker, they, they're all tools to give you a feedback and it's your choice whether to use them or not to use them. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I, I personally like the finger prick looking at BHB, but I do like personally the Biosense makes a good breath meter that I sometimes use too. Let's discuss your conference. So it's called Low Carb Denver. This is the sixth time you are running this conference and thank God for it. Uh, I applaud those who continue with these conferences even after the last two and a half years or so with COVID. It's taking place in Denver, February 23rd through the 26th, 2023. And your lineup of speakers, I was telling you before we hit record, are just amazing speakers, friends of mine, people that I've studied over the years. So uh, share a little bit about the conference and why you're excited for this one, Jeffrey. Yes, Ben, I, we're very excited. And so we're in a leap of faith. It's, it'll have been three years. We we took a hiatus because of all the events that have occurred over the last several years. And again, education is our passion. And we pay it forward through these uh, these conferences and bringing all these fantastic people in one place so we can, again, meet in person and be in a location where uh, everyone is uh, passionate about nutrition and uh, people love going to these events to meet with one another to, to find out that the speakers are just real people and they they open up and they're happy to uh, talk about whatever is on the individual's mind. And I have to stress that we have people query us every day. I thought that this conference is for healthcare professionals only. <laughs> and we have it listed on the website that, you know, the general public is invited. Maybe, maybe they're fearful because I have an MD in my name and <laughs> I'm appealing to my authority. And, oh my God, we, we shouldn't come to this event because it's going to be a bunch of, you know, nerdy, you know, physicians. And it's really far from opposite. And we, we're, we're nerdy physicians, but we have a, a variety of people attending the general public, healthcare professionals, non-healthcare professionals, researchers, sports and fitness enthusiasts. And our MC is Corey Jenks. He's actually a, uh, a pharmacist and a nutrition advocate and uh, a stand-up comic. Wow. What a mix. Yeah. And so, you know, our inside joke is we want to make nerdy, fun, and sexy at this conference. We want to really make it a, a wonderful experience. And we've mixed up uh, our cast this year. And the cast is might be a little bit surprising, but we want to address the topic, where is nutrition headed? But again, it's it's a labor of love, these, these conferences. I think it's important for your audience to understand. And our goal was never to make a whole lot of money uh, doing these events. You know, I my day job is as a physician. And although it's a, a full-time second uh, job, it, it really is a labor of love. And we want it to be successful. It's, it's gonna, we're excited. It's going to be really fantastic. But the bottom line is we can't do it without you, our audience. So, you know, when you attend these conferences, you're supporting nutrition science. And the only way we can continue with these events from year to year is through your support and having you attend. And so I, I apologize, but one of the hats I wear is as an event promoter. And uh, thank you for giving me the time to do that today, Ben. Yeah, I'll put the hat on myself and promote it as well. I think, I think it's going to be an amazing... This is my first time attending one of your conferences. So I'll be there for the keto campers listening and watching, but I'm going to read some of the, I'm going to read a few of the speakers. You could go to the website. We'll drop a link down below if you want to check out the full schedule, but Bill Schindler is going to be there. He's awesome. Dr. Brett Scherr, Thomas DeLauer. My audience loves him. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, Andreas Einfeld. Uh, there's also a panel. You have Christopher, Christopher Palmer, who's been speaking his book, Brain Energy. He's all over the place. You have Dr. Tro. 
um, Amy Berger, Dr. Richard Johnson. And then we have Nina Teicholz, who's been a huge, she's been huge with getting research out there on saturated fat, Dr. Nadir Ali. And I'm skipping a few here, but I'm just going over the ones that I, I'm friends with, honestly. Dave Feldman. Um, Cynthia Thurlow is a great friend of mine. You mentioned her. I'm so glad she's a speaker. I know she was going to moderate, so I'm glad she's speaking. Sean Baker. Uh, and then on, on day three, which is Sunday, I'm actually blessed to be moderating a panel. And that panel is going to include uh, Dr. Jamie Seaman, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, Dr. Quadwo, Dr. Ken Berry, Megan Ramos, Dr. Nadia P- Padiguania. They've all Most of them have been on my podcast. And then in the afternoon, Marty Kendall, uh, and a few others. I mean, there's so many names here. So we're going to drop a link for those who are listening and watching to get it. If you want to go and learn about the schedule and get your ticket, there's a link down below in the notes. It's taking place February 23rd to the 26th, 2023. There's one name that I didn't mention that I want to ask you about. And um, <laughs> you know what I'm going to ask you, Lane Norton. So my audience knows, probably, maybe they don't know, but Lane Norton is a, a fitness enthusiast, very smart, brilliant man. I think he's very smart. PhD, he's in Florida like me, and he's he's attacked a lot of people in our space, low-carb keto. He's made probably like six or seven videos of me over the years, and I was surprised to see him on the list of speakers. So I want to get your thoughts, your mindset around why you decided to bring in Lane Norton. Yeah, so Lane will, will admit that he insults people online. <laughs> yes. And I I will tell you that he knows that it gets attention. And Perhaps he's he's laid back a little bit, not a whole lot in, in terms of his attacks, but people have said, you know, just stick with the nutrition science. But it's gotten Lane a lot of attention, and again, he's a P, he has a PhD in nutrition, and I think a lot of the things that he that he talks about are very valid. And the attacks you have to understand, Ben, we're going to meet him in person and we've had him on podcast and he's really very personal and and very nice. And, you know, you have a, um, what you get online is different than in in person. You know, you have a social media persona Mm -hmm. and so that's Lane's persona, but um, he's already shown to, to me that in person it's different. And, you know, maybe he'll apologize to some of the people that he's attacked, including you over the years when, when you meet in person. But what he likes to call out is that you have to be very careful what you say and when you when you look at the evidence, you have to take it in context. And so when people amplify things without a, an evidence base, that's where he kind of is on the attack or he just wants to, to point out the fallacies and what's going on there. And so that's one aspect. But I think that uh, he understands this concepts of not having a, you know, that there shouldn't be a dichotomy that, that uh, you know, nutrition is just it's a unifying principle and and you have to find something that works for the um, individual. And we actually discussed it, but, but, you know, Lane, we, we've screened for insulin resistance and we find so many people that are insulin resistant and that helps direct the approach. And so I think that describes Lane and, you know, we're excited to have him. And I also just wanted to add that like, it's great that you accepted the invite as an ambassador and will be speaking, you know, will be a moderator on Sunday morning. Just your session Sunday morning is fantastic. In addition to some of those speakers and the topics, uh, muscle-centric energy, we're going to kind of get into mu- muscle health and fitness. And, and also the reason that, that that Lane Norton and Thomas DeLauer, because they're, they're both into fitness. So, yeah. You know, to the audience, a lot of times people want to leave on Sunday because they have to get back to work. But Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon, we have such a fantastic lineup. And if there's any way you could leave late Sunday night or Monday morning, I would encourage you to do so. Agreed. And if, if for anything, just 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 to have uh, Ben up on stage and seeing him Sunday morning. Yeah, agreed. It's going to be fun. I'll be I'll be hanging out. There's also going to be a dinner Saturday night for certain ticket holders and. There's a link down below if you want to go check that out. If you live in in Colorado or nearby, you got to be there. And if not, you know, check the flights, check the hotels. Uh, there's information on your website all about that. I agree with Lane Norton. You, you, things, you know, you got everything needs to be applied uh, specifically to that person's unique needs. And 
he's right in many, many ways. Number one, you're right. Having that persona online of being aggressive and, and a bully, essentially, it works really well in terms of growth. Uh, and that's why he's been able to grow so much. I don't have that gear in me to be hateful towards other people. So that's not the way I'm going to grow. But you know, that's the way he chose to grow. That's fine. My issue with him is he'll take a 30-second clip from maybe a, a, an hour interview that I've done, and then he'll repost that 30-second clip and go on and on and on why I'm wrong, taking out the whole other part of the interview where I gave all the intricacies and the this, this, that. Anyways, that's kind of what he does. But I think it's interesting. It's awesome. I'm all for collaboration. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, well, in medical research, there's a term for that. It's called cherry picking. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so that's what I've seen. Um, either way, I look forward to being there. It's going to be awesome. What are your final thoughts on, as we wrap up this conversation and, and land the plane? What are your final thoughts, Jeffrey? Yeah, well, a- again, nutrition education is my passion. And, and this is how I pass it forward. And uh, to your audience, I, you know, I hope that you found uh, this podcast uh, informative, entertaining, and uh, I apologize for being an event promoter, but uh, I think it's going to be a fantastic event. And, you know, we're looking to forward to seeing you there, Ben, our speakers and the audience. I can't wait. I can't wait. Where can my audience check you out? So the event page is low carb conferences and on social media, it's at low carb conferences. And for myself, again, we're a family doctor. You can visit Denver's Diet Doctor. And on social media, it's at Jeffrey Gerber, MD. We'll put all that down below. Last question, real quick, for you is about my favorite supplement. And you mentioned it earlier in the context of mindfulness. So, my favorite supplement, Jeffrey, is vitamin G, gratitude. It's changed my life. I lecture on gratitude. Maybe I could lecture at the next Low Carb Denver 2024 on gratitude and the benefits of that. But what are you grateful for today, Jeffrey? Well, I'm, I'm grateful to have this opportunity to speak with you. And again, I don't, I don't like to attack people myself, but I think we need all types in this uh, community to advance nutrition science. And uh, just grateful that uh, I can help one or more people to improve their their health and lifestyle. Amen. You're doing much more than that. Thank you, Doc. Can't wait to see you in Denver. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. My best. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Gerber. He has such great experience and knowledge. If you want to join us for the upcoming Low Carb Denver Conference, head over to lowcarbconferences.com and use the coupon code LCD2023AZADI to get 10% off your ticket price. I hope to see you there. I want to hang out with you. It's going to be phenomenal. His website is jgerbermd.com. We'll put his social media down below as well. If you want to watch the video version of today's interview and all interviews, that's on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash keto camp. Share this episode with a friend, leave it a rating and review. Go take your toxicity quiz, get a score. It's free over at toxicmiami.com. And thank you for spending part of your day with us. I will see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.